everybody, and Janet Lee, Songs of the 50s. Wow, did that ever whirl my mind around to some thinking of times. Thank you so much. Beautiful rendition. And as I said, hello and greetings, everybody. Uh, we continue on with this um, interpretation of the book of the War of the Gods, the Lost Book, and uh, so much to be said. If I could say everything that I would like to say today, then our broadcast would probably last, oh, maybe seven or eight hours. But I just have to um, condense it, abbreviate it, and yet try to make it as clear as possible what this is about. Now, in the course of going through th this teaching, uh, there's going to be a lot of Bible names that come up, and they are transliterations from all kinds of different um, n n nations and languages. And so there is, uh, you know, more than one way to uh, enunciate those names. And I have a book here, a very interesting book by Murray Severance, pronouncing Bible names, and he has written up an introduction here, and I thought it would be worthwhile to read it to you just a little bit. No two scholars in any field agree 100%. In fact, no two persons agree totally about any subject. That's a clear indication of individuality. People don't think alike, speak alike, look alike, or do anything else exactly alike. The author of this guide recognizes those distinctions. He realizes that some of those seeking to pronounce Bible names properly will not agree with the conclusions set forth in this book. And that's okay. It is a guide, and not the final authority. Usage is. Britons spell the same word differently from Americans. Southerners pronounce words unlike Westerners. Heritage, environment, era, and other principles influence pronunciation. Pronunciations continues to be influ influenced by the three languages in which the Bible was written. Two dominate, Hebrew and Greek. One is minor by volume, Aramaic. Hebrew and Aramaic are sister languages. The Koinine, uh, the Koinine Greek, the language of the common man, contains a different number of letters than the two uh, Semitic languages and has distinctive rules for accenting and pronunciation. When these three languages are translated to English, other drastic changes appear. Uh, colloquial spellings and pronunciations come as no real surprise, and they do occur. For instance, even the name Palestine is pronounced in various ways. The last syllable of Middle Eastern country of the Middle Eastern country rhymes with tine, like a prone, a, a prong of a fork. Yet the last syllable of Palestine is, is spoken by many Texans to rhyme with teen, you know, so they would be saying Palestine. And um, <clears throat> to a great extent, we learn our rules of language and speak from our parents, teachers, peers. Changes come slowly, um, but change does not 
occur continuously. Proof of this statement is easily witnessed when a student picks up a copy of Shakespeare and turns to one of the modern writers. Even the poorest reader can easily discern the difference. As a producer of religious audiovisions for more than 30 years, I have pronounced literally hundreds of, uh, I have produced literally hundreds of products directly based on the Bible. Okay, that's just a rough little interlude introduction. Uh, there's a lot more that can be said about that, many different ways. Uh, re- recently, I was um, I went to the internet to look up the pronunciation of a word, and uh, and it was given. Then I went to check it out with another uh, agency for enunciation, and it was so incredibly different, I just laughed. Uh, and then I went to another agency, and it was even different. And these were um, top dictionary uh, group agencies, but they all three showed the word being pronounced differently. So don't get too uh, crouched up against the wall. If you hear me make a, a, a you know pronunciation that is not the style that maybe some preacher that you heard years back or how you read it and uh, thought it was to be said. I, I, in all honesty, have a manifest interpretation of many of the words that I use, and I emphasize certain um, uh, utteral parts of those words to accentuate certain uh, manifestations of the manifest revelation. And uh, so it's, you know, very... um, technical and somewhat complicated when you start getting into the finer points of, of um, you know, uh, of saying a word. And, of course, there are times that I just plain outright uh, pronounce a word as I speed through the reading of the Bible, uh, and I pronounce it just really off base. But this isn't an apology. This is just a sweep of interest for those who enjoy uh, knowing all the ins and the outs and the buts and the whys and the how comes that something can happen a certain way or cannot happen a certain way. So let us move on. It is time to talk about the meeting of Moses with Yahweh at the bush. And, um, and it's time to talk about those things that uh, involve this divine escort uh, this revelation of the divine escort, this revelation, uh, you know, that that is of such an incredible uh, feature, uh, uh, such an incredible uh, uh, circumstances of revelation that it just bypasses anything that the average reader would ever expect uh, it to be and has ever heard of it to be. And even though many of these things are uh, plainly declared in the Bible, uh, it just is a fact that there are uh, people that read these things, but that when they read them, uh, the Bible says, having eyes to see, they see not. Having ears to hear, they hear not. Thus is produced the addition of what we call the blind Bible. Things that are in the Bible but cannot be understood by the mind that is reading them or the eyes of the mind that is reading them. But we know that in Psalms 68, as refers to Moses, that 
the Bible says in Psalm 68, uh, you know, uh, 17, that the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. And these particular angels were called Shanans, or Shinons, as I like to pronounce it. And um, uh, they, um, uh, it says, the Lord is among them. Now, we know that when um, Moses was receiving the ten words, people call those commandments, but the original says ten words, and a word was a, was a singular plural uh, for, you know, a, a great many revelations. But we know that when those uh, ten words were being received, that uh, the Bible is uh, clear of how that the presence of of Yahweh, or as we say it, Yahvehel, uh, was was there, and also there though were these chariots of God, and 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 uh, each chariot had. A, you know, an engine or a driver or a pilot, and uh, and there was 20,000 of them, and and the, the event took place uh, in Sinai, in the holy place, as it describes it in Psalm 68, uh, 18. So when we talk about the divine escort, uh, we are talking about you know, how that God said, I will send to Moses. He, God said to Moses, I will send my angels before you. Sometimes he would say my angel in the singular. But my angel could mean a host angel, you know, or an assistant host angel. And, and could mean then, uh, you know, a whole multitude of angels be, uh, which were incorporated in that word host. So that host angel included uh, a whole group maybe a large group of angels. So uh, we have to get into this thing about what the Bible is saying, because if we don't, we are going to miss the road to victory. And uh, we are going to be, uh, in, and that doesn't mean you're going to uh, down to the pit. That doesn't mean you're not going to uh, be redeemed. That just means that, you know, you're not going to be able to do that in the grandest style that is is possible that you could have. And the grandest style is something that everybody should seek to find, should seek to have and should rejoice when they find it. Okay. Now, um, in Chronicles 28, let's just look at that. Uh, I want to read this again to you because it really sets, sets something down. Uh, and it says in, in uh, 1 Chronicles 28, uh, chapter, um, chapter 28, um, uh, verse 11, then David gave to Solomon his son the pattern of the porch and of the houses thereof and of the treasures thereof and of the upper chambers thereof and of the inner parlors thereof and of the place of the mercy seat and the pattern of all that he had by the spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord and of the chambers around about and of the treasures of the house of God and of the treasuries of the dedicated things. Also for the courses of the priests and the Levites, for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord and for all the vessels of service in the house of the Lord, he gave of gold by weight of things of gold. In other words, he told uh, Solomon this was all by the Spirit, the weight 
of which these various vessels should be, of gold and of silver. Um, also, for all instruments of silver by weight, for all instruments of every kind of service, even the weight for the candlesticks of gold, for their lamps of gold by the weight of every candlestick, uh, and for the lamps thereof, for the candlesticks of silver, uh, and by weight both uh, for the candlestick, also for the lamps, according to the use of every candlestick, and by weight he gave he gave gold for the tables uh, of the, of the showbread uh, for every table. Uh, likewise, silver for the tables of all silver. And oh my, it just goes on and on and on on. And this, David says, all of this information, which was a huge list of intricate uh, measurements, which measurements are numbers so numbers are very very important because they have uh, a relevance to significant symbolic meanings and to know those symbolic meanings is the difference of being able to know what the bible is really saying uh, because the bible says that the word of god was received uh you know and those things that were received uh, of of god were received by the spirit and so um, when we understand that there are, are things in this Bible that are more than just, you know, a rough history of something written down, that there are elements in it that is connected to a spiritual, uh, uh, you know, coming forth by the Holy Spirit, and that these things, which are patterns, uh, you know, have a meaning that that uh, has to be understood. So when we just read this statement that I just read, and I didn't read all of it, uh, we are also discovering right then and there the, the blind Bible. Because when it says, for instance, the weight of gold for the candlesticks, uh, uh, the bases and the various things or the tables, and, and uh, you know, and even once you know what the weight is, uh, people are blind to what the rel relativeness of it is and what the meaning of it is. And, and they don't understand the connection to numbers and how important those numbers are in the general sense of, of revelation. Now, if we, uh, if we turn over uh, to the book of, um, of Matthew, <coughs> chapter 1, and we'll read again uh, where we read last week, because I want to make sure you are impressed with the reading of this. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, what would you think <laughs> if your father's name, your father's name was Smith, and... Um, and and someone wrote of you and said, and let's say your name was Jeffrey. Jeffrey, the son of Smith and the son of Brown. And what would you think? Oh, well, they've made a mistake. Uh, you can't even imagine, you know, uh, being the son of, of, you know, two different fathers. Uh, and yet, in the spiritual name uh, revelation. Uh, we find this. Someone says, well, that's because that was Jesus. Yes, but not just because it was Jesus, because that, that was used of other persons also. And so, so we see that 
that there is a revelation here. Uh, when we skip over to the 17th verse of the first chapter of St. Matthew, it says, so. Now, <clears throat> this is a summation type of word. You've, you've, read, you've been given everything from verse 1 through verse 16. And then it says, so. In other words, conclusively. <clears throat> this is very important. And so let's really get it. So, the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David into the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. We showed you last week that David was counted twice. From generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And the carrying away into Babylon into Christ are 14 generations. So, if you took out the use of David twice, you'd have the first time would be 14 generations, second time would be uh, 13 generations, and that's just on the sketchy side of the revelation. Now, last week I said, well, you know, David is you know, going to come again. Well, I don't have time to read all the scriptures, but you should look up Jeremiah 30 and 9, and Ezekiel 37 24 through 25. That's Jeremiah 39 and Ezekiel 37, 24 through 25. And you should, you should, you should read that, um, uh, and uh, you would discover where it talks about that that David is going to be raised up again. You could also read Acts 2:34, where it says David has not ascended. Now, there's very few people in the Bible that you would ever find that there is a reference like this. <clears throat> but there's a reason for there being a reference like that. And it all has to do with this fact that David is going to come back. Someone says, well, that's not really talking about David. That's talking about Jesus Christ. Well, that's just what you say. That's not what, that's not what the Bible says. And... and uh, <clears throat> Uh, the Bible says uh, in Revelations 5.5 5 and Revelations uh, 2.22.16 that David, that David is the root and the offspring of, of um, or pardon me, that Jesus is the root and the offspring of David. So, uh, get in your book and that Bible and read these things, Jeremiah 39. Ezekiel 37, 24 through 25, Revelations 5, 5, Revelations 22, 16, and Acts 2, 34, David is not ascended. Okay, so then we find that in Matthew 1, verse 20, it says, Jesus Christ, son of David. And then in Matthew 1, 1, Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. So we have Jesus Christ being both the son of, of David and the son of Abraham. And uh, we have um, in Matthew one twenty, Joseph, the son of David. And of course, we absolutely know that uh, Joseph was not the direct son of David. But there is something that people just do not understand uh, to, uh, I'm not saying everybody does it, but an awful lot of people do not understand uh, about the accounting of genealogy and how it's done, uh, you know, uh, in those, um, in, in, in the Bible. Because it makes, um, it makes 
uh, all of the spiritual understanding quite different when we begin to see uh, you know these things by those understandings. For instance, um, we'll talk about it just a little bit later, but the word beget, when someone goes in and says, and so-and-so beget so-and-so, and they say, okay, so that means that so-and-so was the father of the other so-and-so. And someone says, yeah, that's what that means. No, that is not necessarily what it means. Because sometimes the birthright has been, has, has been changed. And because the birthright is changed, uh, it has an effect uh, so that the, um, uh, so that the, um, uh, the whole thing is quite different than, uh, than what would be uh, thought. So um, um, let's, just, uh, let's just look at this thing, uh, like I started to say, uh, the son of, of, of Joseph. In um, St. Matthew, Chapter 1, verse 20, it says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David. So here we have Joseph being called the son of David. Fear not to take unto thee Mary uh, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So we've got, we've got some uh, interesting things that we have to understand. Now, um, what, does, what does this mean? Well, it means that words like beget sometimes can refer to ancestral uh, uh, people. And so when it says, uh, you know, Thomas beget uh, Georgia, um, Georgia may not be the son, as you would expect, but may be... Um, an ancestral relative. And there's plenty of proof in that in the Bible, but we'll get into that just a little bit later because this just opens up a whole crop of differentiations that people are not used to. And, um, and but you know, it's clearly right here in the book of, of, of Matthew uh, with Jesus and with Joseph. So Joseph uh you know is is a son of david but so is uh jesus christ so at the same time that joseph is being shown to be the adopted father of jesus same time he's being the adopted father of jesus and almost given a linear a, 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 a genealogy as though he is the father although you know christ is born of a virgin um so he could not have sired him, yet at the same time, he's also the son of, of David, so that would make him a brother. Based on that strange kind of genealogy that it is giving there in Matthew. And the, the numbers, the 14, the 14, and the 14, are not as parallel as would seem because there are, there, there are names that are being uh, uh, doubled. So... Uh, we just wanted to get that down, get you into that, uh, so you would be uh, able to understand. Now, in the 25th chapter of um, Genesis, and the, uh, the 23rd verse, uh, it's, it's, it's a story about Isaac and, uh, Isaac and Rebekah. And um, 
And uh, Rebecca has uh, uh, lived in Padam Aram. And uh, uh, Abraham sent his top uh, servant uh, to go there and find a wife for Isaac. Um, now, names like Padamaram have in them the last part of it, A-R-A-M. So A-R-A-M is a very, very important uh, uh, fact because in the Genesis genealogy, uh, 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 Aram is the is the brother of Arphaxad. And there's an incredible whole story we're going to get into if we have the time on that scenario. And uh, it is so important. Uh, now, uh, let's just uh, understand then that when it says Padam Aram, the Aram is, uh, you know, the Padam Aram uh, is a, a name of a, of a village or a town, but there's a meaning in that name. And, uh, and, and Aram uh, is very important connection uh, to who um, the the ancestral uh, lineage connection uh, of Rebecca belongs. Okay, now getting that together, let's just move on because there is so very much to cover. Uh, it is it's just so important to uh, you know to see these things by by the spirit because. Um, uh, without seeing it by the spirit, a person is just uh, you're dead. You're just you're just dead, you know, and and uh, so so we're moving on. Okay, now um, uh, there are things that have happened um, in the Bible's description of the of the days of creation, the yoms of creation, which are the generations of creation, and we're going to get more into that. Uh, we're going to get more into this thing about the 15 cubits, 20 to 22 feet, uh, that the Ark of Noah uh, was uh, when it was uh, propositioned location-wise on Mount uh, Hermon uh, to be ready for when this great flood would happen. And uh, we're going to describe some of these things. Now, um, as you know, the way that uh, Christians... Um, and scholars representing these Christians have uh, more or less currently um, interpreted what the Bible says. Uh, it has made uh, it not to match with, uh, with geology and archaeology in, in many cases. And not in all cases, but in, in, many, in many cases there are some, uh, some areas because there are things that they did not know. There are things that, uh, like, like for instance, the Ur uh, of of Chaldees. Um, you know, not many people know that there was actually two different Urs, uh, U-R, and and uh, one was in Mesopotamia, and one was uh, in the east part of Turkey. And and so it's very very important that like when it mentions the name like that to really understand. Uh, what the connection is, because the uh, the ur that uh, uh, that was in um, uh, Turkey was only thirty miles, uh, all located only thirty miles from Haran, and Haran is the name of the brother and the name of the of the of the city that Terah, uh, the father of Abraham, went 
and 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 uh, his uh, son Abraham also went, and then Terah and and Haran died there in Haran, and and but that was only thirty miles away from the from the Ur uh, uh, that was in uh, Turkey, uh, and so you know. These things are important to know because if you don't know them, then the relative aspect of it is lost uh, in the configurement. Now, um, we're just throwing a bunch of things in here for you to get your mind all worked up about because uh, because it's, uh, <laughs> it's super, super exciting. Now, um, let's just throw some things in, and these are going to be a little bit out of order, Okay. But let's just look at, uh, let's, let's just look, you know, uh, in the Bible. Uh, let's first look at, let's see what I've got here in Genesis 7. Let me see if I put the right scripture down there. Uh, 7.10. Um, yeah, here it is. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. Now, two things that happened here that had to do with this flood, but they are very important to understand what they represent. Very important. And we're really going to be getting into a lot of this. But here's what a lot of people do not understand about the fountains of the deep breaking up. If you look at Genesis 8, 2, just go another chapter, here's what it, here's what it said, 8, 2. The, fount, uh, the, the fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters returned from off the earth continuously after the end of the 150 days, and the waters were abated. You also find that in chapter 7, 24. And the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. So the effect of this breaking up of the fountains of the deep was of the nature that it lasted five months. It wasn't just an event that happened and bam, boom, bang, and then, you know, next day it's over with. Uh, it, 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 it's not like that. It was a five-month continuum, five months that was happening from the rumblings of the fountains of the great deep breaking up. Five months. And Moses, or pardon not Moses, Noah was like... Over a year, over a year before he could actually get out of the ark. Some people say, oh, I thought it was only 40 days. No, it was only 40 days when the rain stopped in this particular aspect that it referred to uh, at the time from which that declaration was made. But it, it was not the end of all water coming down, rain coming down, all these things, because there's different forms in which, you know, water uh, can uh, be considered to be coming down, like ice, uh, like hail, uh, snow, uh, you know, 
vapors uh, and 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 liquid water. Uh, it's all from the water family. All belongs to the H two O. So we will we'll get into that and uh, we'll uh, just put this all together because this is going to help you understand something. All tied in to 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 knowing what what uh, things are about. Okay, now let's let's just skip over here. Let's skip over here to uh, an accounting. Okay, let's just look at an accounting here, and uh, let's let's read some things about accounting. Turn with me um, to the book of uh, Psalms twenty-two thirty. Psalms twenty-two thirty, and this is uh, this is very important, very interesting. Uh, it it you know these things are going to open your eyes. They're going to help you to to see things in a totally different perspective by the time we are through here today, and uh, and and that's what these deep manifest revelations are all about uh, for people to see things in a new and Really beautiful way. Okay, here we go. Psalms twenty-two thirty. A seed shall serve him; it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. Now, the the basis of God's math is according to who are the people that can be accounted. To be the seed of the Lord, we're not just—we're not just talking the physical Israel. We're talking a spiritual Israel. But it has to do with what is counted to be uh, a generation, and so this is so important. Um, and you've got the word right here: a seed shall serve him; it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. So the accounting of a generation is something quite different than what most people think. Most people do not have an understanding of the mystery of the time. They just don't have an understanding of it. And because they don't have an understanding of it, their mind is just totally blocked. Wow. Okay, let's look at um, at Numbers 23, 8 through 10. Numbers 23, 8 through 10. Okay, and let's read that. Um, and that's very, it's, uh, very interesting here. And it says, How shall I curse? And this is Balaam, when he had been asked by the king of uh, Moab, uh, Balak, uh, the king of Moab, to go out and curse the Israelites. And in verse 8 he says, How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defiled? Um, um, for from the top of the rocks I see him. And he uses a singular, but he's talking a plural. And from the hills I behold him. He's talking about Israel, but he's describing him as a singular. Lo, the people, now he puts it plural, shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. So don't think that God has not made it clear that as far as the reckoning, which is a word used when they're talking about the generations, as far as the reckonings go, God is reckoning the generations of the seed totally different than the the average regular people out there of all the 
different nativities of the different nations and how they account for time. The way God is accounting is a totally different mathematical, spiritual revelation. And without knowing that spiritual revelation, you are just off course, off base. Okay, now, let's just move on here. Uh, there, that was, that was uh, Numbers 23, 8 through 10. We see this thing about, about the reckoning is not just black and white. It, it's, it, there's, there is a spiritual reference to it, like, the, like what I read to you about David receiving all those numbers and statistics and measurements uh, from the, the Spirit. Now let's look at um, at uh, you know the book of uh, Chronicles. Uh, let's get to First Chronicles twenty three, and let's read verse eleven, twenty three eleven, and uh, and this is uh, this is what it says. And Jahath was the chief, and Ziza the second, Jeush, and Biriah had not many sons. Therefore, they were in one reckoning according to their father's house. Now, this means that there are times that there were people that were groups. And these groups, of course, represented a number of people, but they also represented links durations of genealogy. But sometimes these people, instead of being reckoned as from this person to that person was so many years and from that person to this other person so many years, they just took them all as a group and reckoned, reckoned them. Remember I said reckoned ties into the genealogies? Reckoned them in the genealogy by the group. This is Bible, ladies and gentlemen. I'm reading you Bible. I'm reading you gospel. I'm reading you the, the truth of, of, uh, that justifies how God really does account genealogy. Wow. Okay. Now, let's go to First um, Chronicles 23-24. Uh, and let's see what that, what that says. These were the sons of Levi after the house of their fathers, even the chief of the fathers, and they were counted by their number of names by their poles. Now, here is a situation in which the accounting of these people was done according to their names. Now, in ancient, ancient uh, Jewish math, there is this thing called gematria. Gematria uh, is involved in taking the numbers of, of, of the letters of the alphabet, which are names in most cases, and, and, and using those numbers collectively to uh, give a description of what that name actually means, perhaps in a a spiritual revelation sense or or in a uh, uh, the dynamics of of what it might mean just in a physical deli delivery sense 
And so there are different intrigues. There are different, um, you know, derivative uh, uh, intervals uh, of, of this genealogy of which they all tie into a perspective that is not readily understood by the average citizen on the street because we've got the groups, we've got the names, uh, we've got the fact that a person can be uh, born, uh, begotten, or beget by someone and not actually be uh, just a real definite apparent uh, all what seems apparent but not an actual uh, you know father son father father daughter relationship but can be you know uh, an ancestor just like where Jesus is the son of David I mean look how far back you go from Jesus uh, you know to to David and you have that kind of thing back in Genesis you, and, and we're going to get into all that. We're going to show that to you. So now if, if, if someone is saying this person is the son of, and, and you are suddenly looking at that, and it's like a, you know, Jesus to David thing, <laughs> there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that span the time between that ancestral link. And it's not the same as a, personal generation, personal family generation, it's an ancestral generation. But it's how God does the accounting because he is accounting those that are to be the seed. And there is a number to the name and, and there is an application to the grouping that they fit in. All right. So, let's, uh, let's move on. Let's, um, um, let's look at... Uh, Chronicles 21, go back a little bit. First Chronicles 21, we'll go back, and verse 5 and 6. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people unto David. Now Joab, he was a captain, he was a really important uh, army official. And he had been given the order, I want you to number the people. People, meaning all the people of Israel, I want you to number it. Well, Joab didn't do that. And there was a reason he didn't. And you, you know, later when, uh, when Adam, pardon me, when David had the people numbered, even what were numbered, uh, that was considered an, a, a sin, that David had sinned. And the angel of the Lord came in to destroy a bunch of people because of the sin of David. This thing about how you number them, this thing about how you count them, or how you do not count them, is a thing that's really something important with God. And the, the destroying angel uh, that, that occurred here. And we know that this particular event was represented both by, by, by the forces of God and the forces of evil. And, and so uh, I don't have time to go into that. I've preached on it before. But, um, but we can read it right here in this 21st chapter of uh, of first chronicles if you just look at verse 1 and satan stood up against israel and provoked david to number israel so it can be such a thing is that when genealogies are being made and people are predicting what these gene genealogies say 
and they start giving these these minimal crummy numbers as to when the flood happened, as to when this event happened or that event happened. They are not understanding the spiritual aspect uh, of the numerology. They are not expect uh, understanding the 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 blindness that they have, the deafness that they have. They can't read, uh, you know, uh, the the invisible Bible, and so. There are scriptures that make it very, very clear about that, and we're going to get into them because they are so important. Okay, so uh, let's read this one here again on um, uh, 21, 5 through 6. And Job gave the sum of the number of the people unto David, and, and all they of Israel were a thousand thousand, thousand thousand, that's the number, <laughs> that's a big number, and you should know what that is. And a hundred thousand men that drew sword in Judah was four hundred threescore and ten thousand men that drew sword. But, verse 6, Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them. For the king's, king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he smote Israel. So all of the people were not counted. Thank God for Joab. He realized it was an abominable thing to count them the regular way because David was counting them from, from the, the war uh, uh, action. You know, how many soldiers do I have to come against the Philistines or against these other people? And so he was using worldly accounting to decide, you know, what... But he wasn't using, you know, the accounting that that um, that men of God of the past uh, that were successful in war he was using, and and, and uh, you know, um, uh, David knew better than that. But he had been, you know, he had he had he had been uh, affected uh, by all these. You know, wives that he brought in uh, of different nations who had different kinds of ideas than than the divine things. Like when earlier, you know, he had received by the Spirit all the accounting and the numbers. Now he was going over to the other side, and God was really displeased because God was saying, David, you knew better than that. You know that I don't go by the numbers. You know that I've taught that one sh shall chase a hundred, and a hundred shall chase a thousand. I've taught you that the ratios from the spiritual side of the meaning of those that are counted to be God's people are not based on how great a number you have. How many times have I delivered the camp of Israel, even though the armies coming against them were many, many times more people? But now you're trying to count these people in the physical, fleshly sense and you are accounting them based on that rather than on the spiritual accounting of the measurements of the temple of God. Ah, it's a serious thing. People don't understand how serious that it is when, when individuals start telling what the Bible is supposed to mean and they get it so wrong. And then they make the Bible look like it's, it's a myth, mythology. They make the Bible look like it's in error, that it's just a book of mistakes. 
and one of the manifest revelations is is to to uh, to eradicate those errors that have been taught and to bring out the truth of what the real truth is. Oh, bless the name of God! I ask my wife to come. We're going to take a break. I'm getting worked up. I'll tell you. Thank God for the Word of God. Thank God for truth. Janet Lee coming to play on the organ. Thank you. 
Thank you, thank you, Janet Lee. That's utter, 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 utter. Okay, so uh, when we start getting into the Bible, when we get into all these kind of things, there are so many things not understood, not understood. And and you know, there's a there's a big differentiation about the flood. Was it a local flood or was it a worldwide flood? Well, the reason that uh, many of the um, ministries and even the the um, uh, the scientists that are are the believer people have not been able to give an answer that that really equates uh, to other scientists as having a, a re reality to it is because they don't understand the spiritual meanings that are entwined in the Bible. Now, let's, let's look at this thing about the flood, a local flood or a, uh, or a, uh, a worldwide flood. Well, if it's a local flood, you don't need to tell Noah to build an ark that's going to take over 100 years to build. You don't need to have him build an ark up on top of a mountain. Um, <laughs> if it's a local flood, you just need the revelation. Okay, how far is this flood uh, going to, uh, you know, be? And uh, and tell me where I need to go, and I'll just go t uh, to the land, uh, you know, where there's no flood, you know, outside of the flood. Well, there are some people that think that that is what the Bible says. For instance, you know, there is a scripture in the book of Joshua 24, 14 through 5. And, uh, you know, uh, in fact, I, I should probably just, you know, turn to it uh, because um, I can see, you know, where people could get that kind of an idea of it being a local flood based on that particular, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, scripture. But, but uh, that isn't the meaning of that scripture. And without uh, knowing what the meaning is, then you're sure going to get it mixed up. So let's just look at uh, at Joshua 24. And we're talking about uh, verse 14 and 15. Joshua 24, 14 and 15. Okay, here we go. Here's what it says. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in a sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood in Egypt and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and served ye the Lord. Now, someone would read that and say, ah, other side of the flood. Well, then that means that if there's another side of the flood, that the flood didn't cover the whole the whole earth, because there's an, another side. And and that's uh, uh, Joshua 24, 14, and 15, you know. But, you know, we have to look at this a little bit to to understand what it means. So let's look at this, and let's say a side of the flood, which on one side was different than the other side. And not from the sense that um, that it means that um, that once you got out of the one side of the flood, there was no flood there. Someone says, well, what could it mean if it says on the other side of the flood? Well, that's what I'm going to tell you. 
Because here's what people do not understand. The Bible tells us that the people walk on in darkness and know not. And this is in Psalms. And I'll give you the scripture later. The people walk on in darkness and know not that the very foundations of the earth are out of course. Now, as we begin to understand this thing about the foundations of the earth being out of course, that is really telling us something. What is it telling us? Well, it is telling us that the way that the earth was made with its axis, which was not quite perpendicular, but close to perpendicular, is totally different from how it is today. Because the axis is is 23 and a, and, and, and a half degrees, which is a, a far cry from being close to perpendicular. And someone says, oh, well, I can tell you this. You don't know what you're talking about, because scientifically, if, if there was a time that the axis was perpendicular, why the earth would be so hot it'd be intolerable to live there. No, that's just what you're saying. But the fact is you don't understand the whole, the whole revelation of this. Because the spin can make a totally difference as to this relativeness to the hot and cold effects of the sun. Now, what happened is that the earth was spinning at a much faster rate. And because of that faster rate that the earth was spinning, when it was closer to the perpendicular uh, axis, that allowed the weather to be uh, um, reasonable in a lot of areas of the earth. And what is happening right now? Well, the scientists know that the earth continuously, by very small degrees, but is continuously still, still slowing down as to its spin on the axis. And that's just a scientific fact. So what did it mean on the other side of the flood? Well, what it meant is that this great turmoil that happened, this great effect that happened, when the fountains of the deep were broken up and it was continuing for five months, when the waters of the oceans began to be moved at like over 100 miles per hour and sweep like torrents across the land. Well, that flood wasn't just, wasn't just liquid water. That flood was also ice and glacial flood. Some say, well, they don't call ice and glacial a flood. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And you do a little searching on the Internet, you'll find it. And what happened when the, the earth was moved out of office axis, going over toward this 23 and a half degree angle of the axis, the whole skin of the ice that was at the perpendicular top of the world at that time began to slide. And this means that there was a polar relocation. And this ice was 
over a half a mile thick. And it moved, and we can find, according to the scripture that I just read, we could show, but I don't have time today, that this ice came all the way down into, uh, you know, part of Arabia and Mesopotamia. And so when he, he speaks about the other side of the, of the flood, they're saying, you know, in this ice flood part, which covered the land of, of the Ur, of the Chaldees, <coughs> where our fathers used to worship other gods. But the other side of the flood didn't mean that the, that, that the whole earth wasn't covered because the Bible says that the whole earth and all the mountains were covered. But what scientists have not known and, and, and uh, geologists have not known because when they go out to do this measurement and they see all of these various things, in their geological uh, concepts and measurements, they don't understand that movement of this and, and the tipping of the axis and the whole slide of, 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 of all of that. Now, the Bible says that which is is that which, that which w once was. If you look at... Um, at the book of uh, Isaiah, chapter 24. There is a description, and although it's, it's put the way that they tra translate this into a future, um, that future and past by the International Bible and several other Bibles, has they have, been, they have altered that. There are places in the King James that says that this is futuristic, and they've changed it to past. And that's because that is one of the things you can do with a lot of your texts because text is based on the contextuality. In verse 1 of chapter 24 of Isaiah, Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty, maketh it waste, and turneth it upside down. I don't think you need anything more than that to tell you how that the Bible talks about the earth being turned upside down, and that's what it would be from perpendicular to 23. I mean, that would be in, you know, that kind of a happening. Even when you read in Jeremiah, even when you read in Jeremiah, chapter 4, 23, I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void in the heavens, and they had no light. And I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled. <coughs> and all the hills moved lightly. <coughs> what do you mean, the hills? The hills and the mountains, they moved? Yeah, they slid. <laughs> the whole crust of the earth <coughs> slid. And, and when you go back into the third day, which was a billion years of the creation in Genesis. All the earth was covered with water. You could not see any ground. It was all covered with water. It wasn't until the fourth generation 
uh, billion-year generation yom <coughs> that the land appeared. And now you have this thing that happens where the Bible says, Behold, the foundations of the very earth are out of course. And men walk on in this blindness and they don't know it. And that same condition prevails today. People don't know this truth. They don't know about this great crust move and this change of the axis. And how that, that, that change of the axis has changed the gravitational effect because of the spin difference. And it's part of the reason why man lives fewer years of life than they used to before the flood. Now as you begin to see this, and this reality begins to open up to you, and where all the mountains were covered, not very far from where I live here in Canada. I live in Edmonton, Canada. But about 12 miles or so on the uh, south side of Calgary, there is a town, Okotos, and also, I think it's called Diamond. And there, out in the middle of a field, is the largest erratic. An erratic is something that has been moved by glacial action. It's the largest boulder rock in the world. And it has been moved from up in the north all of the way down. And it's just huge. It's 15 tons. That means just <laughs> the huge part of this part of Canada was covered with ice. Because the glacial ice is what moved that big boulder to where it is. Come on, people. Listen to me. Listen to me. These things are absolutely incredible. So here you have a rock. I said, I think I said 15 uh, tons. I think it's, uh, it, uh, it might even be 15,000 tons. But anyway, it's huge. It's just an absolutely huge thing. And, and uh, I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there is proof around the world that this ice has moved. And so like, like if you take the scripture, and let's, let's look over in uh, Luke, the third chapter. Let's look there. And let's just read something that's very interesting in Luke. And I have so much to cover that, you know, it's, it's just... It's impossible to get it done in the amount of time. I'm gonna, it's going to take several weeks, you know, to, to, to get this done. But in the third chapter of the book of Luke, where it's given the genealogies, and a lot of these names are so different, you know, because of the transliteration. But if we start with verse 35, which was the son of Zerach, which was the son of Ragu, which was the son of Phelech, which was the son of Heber, which was the son of Selah. Now, interesting, you find these words like Heber. They put an H in front of the E. 
If you go further back into Genesis, you'll just read it and say Eber and not Heber. Same thing with um, with uh, Enoch. Uh, if you look at it in the New Testament, uh, you, it'll read, uh, you know, Henoch, uh, H-E-N-O-C-H, instead of Enoch. Uh, that's just transliteration stuff. But let's go on to 56. Which was the son of of Canaan? Which was the son of Arphaxad? Which was the son of Shem? They got Sim, but it's Shem, which was the son of Noah. Okay. Now, when you go back to other genealogies that gives, like in Genesis and in Numbers and Chronicles, this name Canaan has been left out. And yet, it was important to put that in there when they did the genealogy of, of, of Jesus through, through Mary. But what you do have, if you, turn, if you go back and, um, and you go back to Genesis, what you do have is, is, is interesting in the way of a proof. And I just find it so beautiful when a person you know, be able, puts this all together. Because in um, Genesis 11 and verse um, 15, oh no, I'm going too far. Let's just say verse 12, 11, 12. And Arphaxad lived five and thirty years and beget Selah. And Arphaxad lived after he begat Selah 403 years and begat sons and daughters. Now, here we have that Arphaxad, Arphaxad uh, lived 300 years and begat sons and daughters. But it doesn't name their names. But, but Luke went to the Septuagint, which was the Bible that they read in those days. And in the Septuagint, it lists Canaan in this genealogy, which he listed, even though... In the Masoretic, which is in the King James and, and, and uh, in several other translations or versions, there is Bible, both in this book where it just gives the had sons but doesn't give the name, but names like Canaan are very, very important to be in there. And there's a whole story as I have begun to show you before. And one of the things that, that we find in the, in the genealogy down to Mary of Jesus is we find harlots and we find people with these, these names that belong to rebellion. And so when the Bible says that Jesus decided not to take on not to take on the the body style of the angels, but to take on the the body of of the humans. After Abraham, well, where did Abraham come out of? Abraham came out of, out of a mess. Well, those people were really in deep into into idolatry. And there are things I could tell you if I had the time. That work your way right up the tree. 
But here we see then that they do not mention it. And now we are talking tremendous differences. Tremendous differences. For instance, between some of these genealogies one to the other, like from Genesis to Exodus, there are hundreds of years missing, missing in the genealogy. From just the end of Genesis to the beginning of, of, genealogy, of the genealogy given in Exodus. And Exodus, you know, gives a story of genealogies that when you piece all these different genealogies together, for instance, the genealogy of Moses and his sons, it looks like their father that is listed as their father that, that sired them, that begot them, so to speak, was actually their father of, of Moses and Aaron. But when you check it out in numbers, there's over 8,000 different other descendants mentioned to the same connection. Over 8,000. So that it proves that this word begot did not mean immediate like father, but it meant it meant descendants that belonged to the same tree, but there could be hundreds and hundreds of years separation. And I've got proof for all of that, but I don't have time to preach it today because there's just not enough time in the clock to get this whole message to you. But it is so important that you know these things because the Bible says to be able to give an answer to all men who might inquire of the hope that lies within you. I want to be able to show you that our, that our Faxad, who was listed as a son of Shem after the flood, that between Shem and, and Abraham was a huge number of missing years. Unbelievable. I want to show that to you. When I have the time to do it, we're going to have to just keep going on this. These are revelations that Yahweh was speaking to Moses and revealing. He was really opening his mind at the burning bush. He prepared Moses to come into a, a sanctified a place. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground here. You're coming into a referendum. of spiritual revelation. Take your shoes off. Take the way you've been living, the way you've been walking in life, the way you've been thinking in life, the things that you've known from your Egyptian background and connection. Take those off. Lay them down. You're going to be showing a whole new revelation, totally unlike anything you've ever heard of. You're going to be connected with people not of this world. Don't belong to this world. Never were born 
on this planet. Wow. Someone said, well, now who would that be? Well, <laughs> hang and hold. You'll get a chance to learn, hear all that. These things are so relevant to you being able to be delivered from ignorance. God wants his people to be delivered. God wants you to know that the Bible says that in the days of Peleg that the earth was divided or that there was a division. Now there's people that have tried to use that time to say that that's when the continents were divided. That is absolutely erroneous. That is about the genealogies of the people that were divided, and that's what the scripture says. And that is more important than the continents being divided. That's about these genealogies of the different people because everything in God's mind is the accounting of the seed who he applies to be in the generation. And in the 150th in the 105th chapter, pardon me, of Psalms, it talks about the covenant that God made with with Abraham for a thousand generations. And in the 90th chapter of Psalms, it says that there's two sets of generations now. There used to be other ages that people lived. The original age was a thousand years. And God said to Adam, in the day that you eat of this fruit, you will die. Adam lived to be 930 years old. The day was a thousand years. He, he died 70 years short. 70 years short of the thousand years. Because he did that in order to take on the sins the transgression of his wife Eve, of which the Bible says in Timothy that Adam did not transgress, but that Eve did. And so the thousand years went down to eventually to 120 years and then eventually to 70 to 80. So if you take 70 or 80 times a thousand generations, you've got 70,000 to 80,000 years. But if you start going back to the first, second, third, and fourth uh, yom, and you're under star time, each one of those is a billion years. But the minute you get into earth time, you start getting into millions, thousands, and hundreds of years. And I want to get into a teaching where I want to show you that the, the fifth yom of creation, which was an earth time creation, was the longest day of creation. But I want to show you things that I've not ever been able to reveal before about that creation. Because it is sensational to know. And I want to show you Bible upon Bible, Scripture upon Scripture, truth upon truth, word deliverance upon word deliverance, Until you start seeing the chariots of God 
swarming from the heavens above. I want to show you how important it is to know these insights. I'm going to show you how the seafloor warped and the disbursement. I want to show you how that um, that you can know things about the number five. How does this thing of number five, where we we talked about the harnessment, the people of, of the, the people of Israel went out harnessed, and, and that number meant five, and how important that that number five is. How that I read to you how the fountains of the deep were broken up and they continued for a period of five months. How many things there are along this line. Like the number five, the curtains of the tabernacle hung five on each side. The entrance veil hung on five pillars. The door of the tabernacle hung on five pillars. The third group of veil was called the beautiful veil, and it divided the holy place from the holy of holies. The dimension of the veil of the court were 20 cubits by 5, which equaled 100 cubits. The tabernacle used the number 5 for its all-prevailing number. Nearly every measurement was a multiple of 5. Even the holy anointing oil was of five parts. The incense was composed of five parts. These things have got to be known. These things have got to be realized. Because if you don't know it, then you lose out on what the the fullness of the reality is. Wow. Wow. It is so important to get into these these revelations. We're going to be talking next week, Lord willing, on the fifth generation age. I thought I was going to get into it this week, <laughs> but I can't even begin to get close to it. It's just too much to cover. And it just takes too long. But, you know, there are things that we we can put together and we can know. And this thing that I started to give to you in um, Luke 3.55, where it mentions five names. Shem, or Faxad, Sheila. Okay, uh, let me start over here. Uh, from the flood, five names from Shem and the flood are Faxad, Canaan, Sheila, Eber, and Peleg. And when you put these into five accounting, accounted kinds of generations, you end up with 5,000 years. Each generation being accounted of God as the seed is equal to a thousand. That restores the days of the Garden of Eden before the fall. The thousand generations. 
and you end up with 5,000 years. Then if you take from Christ till our present time, you have over 2,000 years. And if you go back into the history, which when we have the time we will show you that history, it's in the Bible. You've got 4,000 years. So you take the 4,000 years plus the over 2,000 years, you have 6,000 years, earth time. And when you add to it this 5,000 years of these five descendants, you end up with 11,500 years. And when you start looking at the 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 ice age the the deep ice age began you know a long time ago like 2 million 5 roughly 500 years ago the deep and then there have been all these different meltdowns but the total uh deep of the ice does not melt all the way and then about 14,000 years, there began to be a melting of the, of the ice, which was a very slow melting. And then about 11,500 years ago, a faster melting. And then we're going to show you, we're going to show you how that this ice age melt was part of what caused the flood. And the shifting of this great mass of ice was all part of what moved the, the poles of the North and South Pole and shifted the crust of the earth. And it's in the Bible. And it returned the earth to all being covered with water because ice and glacial material is also H2O. The same as it was on the third day of the billion star year time where all the earth was covered. And that happened again. That's why in Peter it talks about that the old world perished. And when we want to get into that scripture because, wow, is that ever interesting. We want to get into that. Because when we get into that, it's going to be absolutely Delicious for you to hear it. You are going to be so exciting. You are going to be so excited. The Bible says that in Peter that, you know, that there was a plan. That this thing with the flood was connected to, to a universal plan. We're going to show that to you. We're going to show you the dimensions of the ark based on the numerical construction and the different kinds of cubits and their measurements and how that you can actually take and create from that and the three decks of the ark and uh, its length of, of 300 feet and breadth of 50 feet and height of 30 feet, 
and how you offset that 30 feet with the 15 feet or the 15, I'm say feet, I'm talking cubits, cubits on part of this, the 15 with the cubits that are, that are all part of the displacement. So you have 15 displaced and it leaves 15. And when you do the math of all of this, you come up with a displacement capability of the arc of 19,940 tons. I want to have the time to show you how this is figured and how it is done. And how that on those three decks, there was storage capacity of 95,700 square feet. And I want to show you the the cubic feet of usable storage space, which was equivalent to 100 cubic feet. And it's all there in the the building of the ark. For instance, if you you built a crate, a box, and based on the strength of the crate, based on the strength of the size of the crate, you would be able to know what the maximum that could be put into that that crate by weight. And therefore, it would give you an idea of its capacity. And that's how we're going to do the ark, to show you its potential capacity, which would include the animals and the food, as far as what sheer space, cubic feet-wise. Oh, there's some exciting things that are coming up. I mean, it's going to be liberating. And yes, it's going to be deep. But if you want to be able to give an answer to all men that might inquire of the hope that lies within you, if you want to be able to be like David was on that day when the Holy Spirit spoke to him and revealed to him all those measurements so that we find in Revelations that there's 144,000 of the 12 tribes that are going to be redeemed. And that of each tribe, it's an equal number of 12,000. When you take 12,000 times 12,000, you get 144,000. And then when you start looking at the Jerusalem, the holy city, you find that its measurements of the walls, 144,000. So that the people really represent the city, the city really represents the people, just like rivers represent people. There's all of these different aspects that have to do with the accounting of the numbers. Measurement is numbers. And the Bible says, after the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. We have to understand when it's just the man that is coming forth with the revelation, or when it's the angel in the man that is speaking. I'm going to close till next week. I have some neat super questions from JJ. I couldn't get into them. I just didn't have time. But I will get into them. Maybe next week I can start. But I've got to get this message out 
This is so important. And I want to pray right now for some of these people we've been praying for. God, this list of the people that we've named, this list that I have written in my book, I pray for them right now for your healing upon them, for the miracle of your holy word, to heal them, to heal them, and to miracle their life. And I pray for all the other listeners and friends and followers to bless them and keep them and cause your Holy Spirit to shine upon them. And I pray that you'll open the minds of these listeners that they'll be able to hear this word and that it will become a wall of Gibraltar in them. May God bless you and keep you. We love you. Amen.